to the Race with Jason podcast. Jason Carter along with Steve McCullough. Hello, everybody. As we have a great show lined up for you here today, going to have the Bullet Bob Ream Jr. on uh, the podcast today. I have a great interview lined up with him, so uh, definitely looking forward to that, man. Guy's had a career almost 30 years, um, had 25 of those years behind the wheel, kind of has uh, been just doing the car and everything here the last couple of years since a uh, bad accident happened uh, at our home track, Arizona Speedway. So, um, also, you can follow Arizona Speedway on Twitter now. Shameless plug for the Twitter that I created. <laughs> well, well, if you're going to pat yourself on the back, go ahead, I guess. And USA Raceway, which uh, we'll be racing there and talking about that a little bit later on in the show as uh, well. But, uh, man, a great weekend of racing this past weekend. Of course, nothing for us. Still in this uh, heat of the summer. Beautiful 112 degrees. Uh, glad we're not at a racetrack at 112 One, degrees. 113 heat. today, yes. <laughs> it's I don't know what's going on with this weather. Well, normally we don't race because the monsoon storms roll in, but there's been no monsoons this year, very few, but it's been hotter than normal. Yes, it has been, but they did run up in Knoxville. The Knoxville Nationals took place this last week. We talked about it on last week's show, and uh, your pick, man, David Gravel, held true. Your, yeah. Uh, your PA posse pick, though, didn't do too good. No. So, yeah, he, he drove home on Saturday. He, yeah. He, he packed it up on Friday night, and uh, he just headed on home. Yeah, that's all right. I got the overall one, so that's what matters. So, you know, it, you know, it, it was a great race. Um, you know, he got out front there. He had a great week all together, um, you know, and it, it was great to watch. So I'm, I'm glad uh, my pick for, like I said, somebody that doesn't, you know, I know a lot of these guys. Uh, I've seen them race. I, I met a lot of them and, and whatnot, but you never know what's going to happen on a, right, on a racetrack. Course, David Gravel, the uh, main event winner at Arizona Speedway this year when the uh, World of Outlaws came yep. rolling through. Uh, picked up the win. Had the Exalta scheme on there. They won a best-looking uh, car. <laughs> Did they? Best. Uh, they won best-looking car, uh, best-looking uh, pit crew, which I, I agree with. Uh, that, the that I agree they, with. Got, they got hosed. The Swindells should have won. <laughs> I like Shout-out to Blade Kearns. I still don't know what the heck Blade Kearns does for that team. i got to figure it out. Because I've seen Blade Kearns with a team out here when he was helping out Mike, and Mike was like, I don't know what the hell Blade's doing. Like, Blade, do something. <laughs> So I wonder what Blade, Blade's doing. Crew chief. Is it crew chief? Oh, I don't know. Is, is there, they're, they're o- overseeing, overseeing everything. But they look solid. I think they had a, the best looking uniform. Yes. There were some good looking teams. And you know what? You know, same thing when we go to NASCAR races. And what do I always comment on? The good looking uh, the good looking crews. Yep. So I, I think that's almost as important as your driver looking good. Is your your team's got to look good in the pits as they're working on stuff and standing around. And I think, I think that's a... Uh, forgotten side of the sport that needs to definitely come back we need more team shirts out there i want to see them throughout the pits we'll talk to uh, bob about that ask him his thoughts on uh, some team pit shirts just looking nice man yeah i mean like t-shirt they'll wear like the t-shirt of the driver like bowling shirts you know like so this week i had like a brainstorming idea (laughs) for us uh probably Uh should talk about this off yeah let's bring it up up here so remember like the old shirts that we had at canyon Mm -hmm. like way back when like those little like kind of meshy type ones or whatever and they had like all the logos on it, the sponsors and stuff. Yeah. Like we need a shirt like that, you know? We can do like a stalt production one. It's like red with like the logo. Oh, and remember the like, just big, and then like a racing adjacent podcast a, one. Yeah, I have it in my. Yeah, you have the old PPG. Shirt yeah, down the, there. The, the, the mic and everything. Yeah. Those were those are phenomenal. I don't disagree. We should definitely. Yeah, we should It'd be like better that. than just a pullover. There's yeah. nothing wrong with a pullover shirt with a driver's name on it. If you do a nice button me day button down, I'm like, like talking about shirt. for me, like you know, oh, just I know. Less, yeah. like out there in the camera, like all wears like Under Armour polo usually, so. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's been on the discussion for a while on the T-shirts and hats for the company. So. And after seeing that, I think we should go in. Go I don't in. disagree. I mean, it, it's an underrated, you know, it, it's, you know, it, 
if I if I was a race owner, my the guys working on my car would all be dressed the nice. same. Nice black pants with a nice button down mechanic shirt on, and uh, I, I think it's you know. And the cool thing too, Exalta said they might come back next year for a little bit more. Uh, now that they got their uh, feet wet in the dirt racing, that whole deal kind of started. And of course, Jason Johnson Racing is uh, you know the forty one team and everything. Uh, his wife Bobby, after Jason passed a few years ago, decided to uh, keep the team going and yep. foot, and uh, David Gravel took over the wheel of that car. And uh, Jeff Gordon was a big part in getting the Exalta deal on uh, Jason Johnson's uh, racing yeah, car. Yeah, I was, I was reading David about Gravel, that. So. That's a pretty interesting deal, and Gordon was actually out there for uh, all four days of Knoxville this year and was down there in Victory Lane with him. So. Which is exciting to see because you get those guys that aren't you know, haven't been part of that background for a long time uh, out there for that type of stuff. I will say, though, and I apologize, Mr. Gordon, but a few times I saw his picture and I was like, that's not Jeff Gordon. Like, it didn't look like him. The gray beard? Yeah, the weird, man. Just like, <laughs> wow, like that, that is not him, is it? I, I think so. it was, the pictures I saw, like him at the track, and then like the uh, after race shenanigans that happened in Knoxville. It's like, man, he's dressed up way too nice to be a dirt. Well, track. Thing, yeah, but uh, I saw him at Victory Lane and stuff with with Gravel when he won his, you know, on what Thursday night or Friday yeah. night when he when he Thursday Thursday night. I, I saw him those pictures where he was up there talking to him and being involved in that. And like I said, I had to do a double take on that one. So because uh, who was the other guy that was up there with him? Um, Ray yeah. Abraham. He had Ray Abraham with him as well. Yeah, so I mean, it you know. Big names up there with uh, Mr. Gravel and his domination this weekend. But, I mean, Brett Sweet, uh, your your pick last week, uh, had a good showing. Yeah, came home in the uh, sixth spot. Didn't get the uh, back-to-back wins there, but uh, did come home in six. Aaron Reitzel, who I uh, kind of picked going into the main event. I was like, man, he's starting P1. He's going to be strong. Uh, he held up pretty quick through the first half of the race. Uh, actually uh, finished in the fifth spot. Uh, th- thought he fell back a little bit more than that throughout the race after the uh, open red that they had there midway through. Um, but was able to race his way back up. Obviously, the camera doesn't catch everything at Knoxville. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. Logan Shuhart, man. You miss gosh. a lot, yeah. I, I still need to figure out if there's a GoPro on Logan Shuhart's car from this past weekend because <laughs> 22nd to second, no easy task at uh, Knoxville. Especially this week because one of my disappointments was, was that every race was pretty much you know, single file, not a lot of passing going on, not a lot of the excitement on that side. I know, I know some happened, so don't take it as, well, yeah, none, 20 but, second, but I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, stuff like that, but you know, it wasn't a back and forth like it has been in years past, things like that. So definitely the track was set up how it was set up. And, um, but no, you're right. I've, I haven't seen any of that. I've actually looked as well to see if there's any footage on it. And I even was looking for just regular footage on, you know, from him in the 22nd place and how he got up to two, um, like a Facebook live thing. Or yeah. Something like they don't, did. cause like, they didn't, they didn't pick him up like, on the broadcast till he was what fifth or sixth. Yeah. And they're like, wow, Logan Shore, he's, yeah. he's coming up here. <laughs> like even they were like, wow, what's he doing up like here? People on Twitter like, man, Logan Shore, he's up yeah. to this. Like I think like right before the break, like don't count him out. So and then the, I was like, man, I, I kind of wanted there to be a caution, but like 10 to go, just see if he had anything for him. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, it's like that old thing where you have to come back from a big deficit and you're all worn out and tired. Cause you have to work as hard to get there, but no, you're right. It, that would have been, that was the one thing missing from that main event was that one last yellow to allow him to restart right behind gravel and, you know, and, and see what he could do there. Cause uh, to go from 22nd to second, you have one of the fastest cars on the track, if not the fastest and, oh, and you're, and you're wheeling it. And he did the, nice. you know, the old, uh, the soup as well. So, I mean, yes. it wasn't an easy t- task for a uh, Logan Shuhart. He, he earned his money. That's for sure. But uh, elsewhere in uh, racing uh, today, actually uh, USAC uh, has some new members going to the hall of fame class. They've been named for the 2019 hall of fame class. Johnny Capels. I might be butchering that name. C A P L S. I'm sure somebody will correct me if I am wrong on that one, but he's going in along with, uh, 
uh, our good buddy Brian Clausen, yep. Dick Jordan, and uh, Dave Steele uh, receiving the votes to make up the eighth class of inductees. And that's so. kind of disappointing. Dick Jordan just, uh, you know, yeah, just passed just away, passed away here. Yeah, and uh, so just barely missed it there to get in there, but... Um, his family would be excited about that. And he was the VP of communications for yeah, I did a lot of stuff, uh, many years wise for USAC. Like that. Uh, all the, uh, stats and numbers and figures. He was, uh, the man on that deal. Uh, definitely a lot of that, that I tell you right now is time consuming more than anything. I used to try to do a system where I was, you know, putting in, I think when I announced at Canyon, I had a system down there. I was like, all right, I'm going to start putting these guys like just top fives, top tens, speed races. Yeah. And I was like, I can't keep up. You know, I mean, it's probably something I should have done at the track before I left, but I didn't. And I tried to like start it, implement it midway through the season. <laughs> yeah, you can't. That's the thing. You have to stay on top of it. If you get behind on it, you're never going to catch back up again. So and that's yeah. my problem. I had those ideas that just kind of clicked in like ah, midway through the season. Let's try this. And it's like, oh, that didn't work out. So, <laughs> well, especially, I mean, that was you're trying to do that just for one track around Arizona. Could you imagine doing it for all the USACs? Yeah, all this USAC you know? series. Like I tell you what, Lance Jennings, he... No easy job for him, and he does all that stuff for the guys out here in the Southwest. I mean, he's based in California, so he you know has his uh, hand inside near the USAC CRA series, as well as uh, the midgets out there and the uh, West Coast guys. Uh, he does it also for the Southwest guys here. I mean, that's uh, definitely a uh, time-consuming for him. You know, you see complain and gripe like, oh, how come the results aren't up yet? It's like, bro, I just <laughs> left the racetrack. That's the one thing. Like, it's one you, in the morning. And, and that's yeah. the thing where I'm kind of glad like I don't do that because it's like, if I did it and I did it like, boom, within five minutes of a checker flag flying, people are going to expect that. Uh, boom, within hey. five minutes of a checker flag flying you, every time. <laughs> you have the privilege of seeing my email box uh, when I don't have, if I put a video out on Sunday and the next week I don't put it out till Monday, Sunday night, everybody's asking where the video is. Yeah, so so I know. you need to do the uh, pre, uh, the preemptive uh, post. Hey guys, <laughs> it's football season now. Well, if I, there's a home game going yeah. on, chances are you're not getting well, you, it until Monday or Tuesday. You've seen that, man, where I've been like, hey guys, I'm on vacation. Like I'm traveling today. You're not going to get, like, you've seen those posts. And those posts come out for one reason is I've already gotten several emails <laughs> <laughs> asking where it is. And it's like, instead of answering all of them, just kind of get ahead of it. So. Well, some good stuff right there. Uh, Michigan, they ran a little NASCAR this weekend. Uh, of course, uh, they uh, set the field for the uh, class of eight playoff drivers for the uh, Camping World Truck Series this uh, past Saturday. Yes. Pretty quick little uh, truck race on Saturday. Uh, Ross Chastain led the first ha little bit of that deal in uh, stage one. Actually uh, went out early. Uh, yep. Matt Crafton got in without a uh, win. And uh, no Kyle Busch uh, motorsports trucks. Uh, yeah, so... I I do have a question on that because I, I was trying to look it up and I just ran out of time. Um, but how does that work? Because Kyle Busch's truck won a lot, so with that, Kyle Busch. That's what I mean. So does that does it go by driver or truck? Yeah, it's driver points that you get. Okay. So Kyle so Busch, yeah, trucks. he doesn't okay. acquire points or uh, anything with the races that he runs. He just gets the uh, owner points. So there's owner points. Yeah, yeah, I get still that. connected. Okay, I wasn't sure if it stayed with the driver because I was like, whoever's driving that truck should uh, qualify just from his wins. But no, okay. Yeah, so I mean, how? I mean, that's a big deal, right? For him with KBM. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just like all those drivers. I mean, he, you know, he he does have the young drivers in there. Um, that he, I mean, it's kind of what he does, developmental and stuff like that. But you figure with all the speed that's in those trucks, like they would at least be in. Yeah, I I, I know. I didn't. I you know, and I and I mean to be honest with you, once you get to probably top five truck drivers, I I get a little skimpy <laughs> on anything after top five. You know. Like Moffitt and, you know, 
those guys I, I obviously know and in, in, in everything. But yeah, once you start getting down into sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth, uh, yeah, I mean, like Tyler Ankrum, I would not expect him to be in the playoffs, but he did win a race uh, earlier this year. Are and they, uh, it was kind of one of those surprise kind of wins, like because he had a, he had a hard season, he had to fight there. I mean, yeah. in March he looked like he was in over his head. Yeah. So it's Brett Moffitt, your uh, excuse me, going to be starting off P one in the playoffs with Grant Einfinger in the ninety eight. Stuart Friesen after that win in Eldora, he's a uh, yep. third um, playoff spot. C third C, I guess you can say. Austin Hill win at Daytona and the uh, truck that won the uh, championship last year is the four Steve then Ross Chastain. Of course, the battle with him throughout the year. Of course. Uh, Moving over from Xfinity points to Truck Series points to getting a win to having that win DQ to uh, getting another win or to <laughs> getting the win before he had, got the points. I don't know. It was just a crazy year for Chastain. So, yeah, I, uh, I, at least I, now he can just focus on racing. <laughs> if you looked at his year, um, anything but uh, ordinary to get there. That's yeah, for sure. exactly. <laughs> then uh, Matt Crafton, uh, zero wins. Johnny Sauter and Tyler Ankrum, you're eight that are going to uh, start the uh, playoffs at uh, Bristol. Let's say they start this weekend, right? Yeah, so you got Bristol. Uh, so what is it? They go to the road course, Canadian Tire, then uh, be in Las Vegas. Half eliminated this weekend or what? No, so uh, they do the uh, the three races there, and then they go down to six. Talladega, Martinsville, and ISM. Of course, we'll be there yep. for that race. And then they go down to the final four at Homestead to crown the one champion. Okay, so, so it is the same format then. Okay, yeah, same yeah. format, just lesser field, and they still got it signaled out throughout the uh, three drivers. Yeah. Okay. Easy enough for you? <laughs> I get it now. I get <laughs> okay. it now. Okay. Okay. But, you know, and, and that's the thing, you know, I mean, I mean, he's got favorites going to that. I mean, could be, like you said, I mean, even Ross Chastain has a good shot of, of getting up there, you know. Yeah, now that he's in, I mean, he can just focus on racing. That team's been fast that's since he I mean. took over the wheel. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, they're definitely uh, looking hot. I would probably go with them as my favorite, actually, over, doing the whole thing, yeah. Over Austin Hill and Moffitt, huh? Yeah, I mean, I just think that team, I mean, they've... They've been fast, you're right. They've been fast. Yeah. I think they have the most wins this year, even with the one that got taken away if you want to count that one i mean they had a fast truck there so yeah i like uh yeah i like chastain's chances the old watermelon man yeah we always root for john ross you know that we've known him uh you know racing with some other people we know and whatnot for the last yeah, what, a few years now, three years two four years, years, two, years. Two, three yeah years. so uh, you know you know i always root for him and you know disappointed in that dq that was quite frankly out of his hand and uh maybe it's my bias i thought it was a little ridiculous but yeah, it is what it is i'm glad they're taking away wins now though instead of just yeah call it like a tarnished win no, I agree with that. I mean, that's the right call or whatever. But um, you know, but just seeing them, they they came right back again and were right back up there, and um, you know, definitely rooting for them. That's for sure. And then over on the Xfinity side, it was Austin Sindrick getting the win over uh, Christopher Bell, AJ Allmendinger, Tyler Reddick, and uh, Noah Gregson. So Austin Sindrick, back to back wins for that team. Yeah, it's uh, you know exciting on there. And then of course, you know, we're we're kind of Christopher Bell fans over here at the. Gestalt Production Studio, so it was great to see him finish second, uh, you know, push it a little bit there toward the end. And then and Cup Series was in Michigan on Sunday for their return visit, and uh, Kevin Harvick took the dub, man. Uh, second win in, what, four weeks now? Uh, I believe so, so, yeah. Uh, look, things are uh, starting to look pretty good for old Happy Harvick yeah, there. He is um, running probably the best out of everybody this last month, month and a half, right? Yeah, I would think so. But even beginning of the year, he was running good. It just you never heard from him. He, you know, he, yeah, he wasn't he, getting the wins, and that's the thing. Like yeah. you're used to having him get wins, and you weren't. But he was always there. top five in a lot of the early races. You know, Kyle Busch was the story beginning of the year, but and of course um, it was a fuel mileage race too. Yeah. So I mean, Kyle Larson was able to 
finished third after having kind of a subpar day starting in the back along with uh, Martin Truex, who really had a dominant car early in the race, and his car was just kind of mired back mid-pack as well. But due to people running out of gas, he came in fourth, and Daniel Suarez, yeah, your, your boy Suarez, finished fifth. <laughs> but uh, Denny Hamlin, uh, you know, he's another driver who's been picking up. I mean, he was right there in the mix with Harvick at New Hampshire a few weeks ago. And then he uh, picked up the win after that, and now here he is, you know, finishing yeah, and second. So. I mean, between Harvick and Hamlin, I, I would even throw Logano in there. They've been pretty consistent all year long. I'm quietly consistent. Right. You know, and um, they're, they're three guys that I, you know, a lot of people are sleeping on, I, I feel. You know, even though they're all starting to win a little bit now, so people are starting to talk about them. But um, they've been consistently all year long. And, and, you know, Logano's second in points, Harvick's third in points, and Hamlin's fourth in points. And you wouldn't know that watching anything because everybody talks about Truex, you know, Keslowski, um, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Busch a lot on all these broadcasts and all these shows that I listen to. And they, those three guys are just sneak, sneak, sleepily sneaking up on people. And, of course, uh, on Monday, Bubba Wallace got uh, job security, I would feel like, when he got his uh, car owner's name tattooed on his thigh. Is that all it takes? But, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's all it takes, right? Like, I don't think Richard I, Petty's going to fire him now, is he? I lost. <laughs> I was losing respect for Bubba because I root for Bubba a little bit, you know, and um, – you know, he's on a team. He's trying the best he can. He's got his problems, sure. But, man, it looked like he was going to skimp out of that. And I was like, you skimp out of this, man, and I'm never, you know. You better do like, it. He got he got everything he asked for, and then he was kind of waffling a little bit on there. And I was like, no, don't be that guy, you know. And probably my most appreciative moment from this past weekend, though, had to have been uh, Kevin Harvick's son, Keelan, <laughs> on the front stretch thinking Bush beer. <laughs> yes. Got to thank the sponsors and course, old seven-year-old kid and, seven, at a NASCAR right? race thinking Bush. <laughs> I loved every minute of that. Yes. Um, I'm sure the executives at Bush were cringing because technically you have to be 18 to, or 21, right, to do yeah. anything like that. And he's up on the <laughs> – no, one of the greatest moments in – you know, in the uh, victory victory uh, things ever to happen. It was it was definitely classic. Yeah, so we'll uh, you know wonder how much uh, Bush Bob Ream's been drinking. We'll talk to him next on the Race with Jason podcast. You take a break too, when we take a break. Yeah, I mean, in past years, like good old Ohio Speed Week or something like that, um, Indiana Sprint Week, whatever. But this year, I didn't do any of it. I, we went to Paris, France, and did something a little different, and stimulated the economy over there. And now we're broke, trying to catch up. And then race season comes up here in about two and a half weeks. Did you go to the Eiffel Tower? Oh yeah, yeah. My niece and I. Uh, Mickey Meyer's daughter and my sister's daughter, uh, she and I went, and that was pretty cool. You just got to wait until, gosh, past 10 p.m. for it to get dark. Oh, really? It stays uh, pretty lit over there? Yeah, so, um, and then to see the lights flash and all the, the light show, that's 11 o'clock, so um, I learned my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> lesson learned? Did you? Yeah. What, what's the thing that they have when you go, like, over uh... – to other countries and stuff. What's that thing called? That book? The passport? passport? No, not the passport. Not what you need to get in the country, but like the guide. Speak English, Jason. Fromer's Guide to <laughs> yeah, France. Yeah, Fromer's Guide. <laughs> I 
haven't heard of that. <laughs> or, or was that just on a Euro trip? No, it is, it is a real book. Yeah, like a guidebook telling you the sites and everything. Yeah, but... Fromers, I think is what it was. The guy from Euro yeah. trip had one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Much, much, much older and and much different than Paris Auto Speedway. That's for sure. Definitely. Well, which one's your favorite, Paris? Paris France or Paris Auto Speedway? Paris Auto Speedway, definitely. There you go. Take that, you Frenchies. Yep, no place else I'd rather be on a Saturday night than a racetrack, right? Heck yeah, man. And dude, you've been doing it for quite a little bit, man. I mean, your career is about 30 years old now, uh, coming up just about. But, I mean, you started going to the racetrack with your father, you know, Manzanita, back in the 70s. Then you kind of took a step away and uh, did some ATV stuff. Uh, so what was it like going to the track back then? I mean, I, I didn't get to go all the time. You know, my, my parents were just like any of the other, you know, parents you see now in their 20s. You, usually the kids get dropped off at grandma's and you go to the races and, you know, the parents can race and stay out late and party. And then the kids go to church with grandma and you get picked up around noon on Sunday. So I didn't get to go to the races a whole lot. But, but when I did, it was, it was really cool to watch my dad race and, you know, I probably was good through trophy dash and heat race. And then by the B or a feature, I was asleep on my mom's lap. And that's what I remember the most of watching my dad race was just the beginning of the night and passing out. Right. Asleep, checked out, or I playing on the dirt pile somewhere, (laughs) king of the hill. That's what we used to do. (laughs) Yeah. And definitely a lot of that playing with little you know, matchbox style cars under the stands with, with all the other kids, you know, like Jeff McSpadden or, you know, I, I often wonder if, if I played around with some of these kids and really didn't know them, but we're all the same age bracket and we all grew up out there like Bruce St. James or Mickey Meyer, you know, I don't remember those guys from when I was a kid, but then, you know, getting into my twenties, I got to know these guys and I thought, well, you were there and I was there. Right. Maybe we hung out together, and you know, same thing with Charles Davis Jr. or whoever. We're all kind of that same age bracket, but uh, anyway, uh, lots of cool memories out there. And, and my mom worked there for many, many years, from selling tickets to moving into the main office. And then uh, even my sister and I worked in the snack bar, and then I worked in the scoring tower for a while with the announcers, and then uh, actually sold fuel down in the pits at the fuel pump. So I had quite a few different odd jobs at the track, not just wanting to be involved with the race cars, but just being involved with the track somehow. Oh, definitely. So you switched from that, uh, you know, just interests changed and uh, you started racing some ATVs, man. I mean that I always picture like ATV racing. I've never been to an ATV race. I think I've seen like a little bit on TV, but I just picture it like, you know, a couple of rednecks getting together with some beers and flying down, you know, I have race you over to that, barn over there but it's nothing like that right and i i agree with you nowadays but back then (laughs) it was pretty cool you know um from 1986 to 1990 and there that was when i did it so not for too long but um you know there was there was quite a few good tracks around here and a lot of good competition and in fact there was a big event at manzanita in 1985 um and then there was a track just across 35th avenue on the other side of um, Broadway and we called it the pig farm track and I want to say it was something like 41st Avenue and Broadway so we raced out there a lot um, there was one out in West Glendale and then we raced uh, inside the infield of Tucson 
the paved track now, which it used to be called Raven Raceway. We had a, there was a motocross track in the infield there. There was one in the infield of Cocopa Speedway in Yuma. And, you know, Blythe, Kingman, wherever we, you know, knew that there was a race going on, I'd just load up my truck with either Fast Eddie's kid or Jeremy Sherman, and, and he would work on my quad or whatever it was, and we'd go racing somewhere and drive home the next day. How much times. how much work goes into like the quad and like getting it set up and dialed in? I imagine to get that dialed in than it is getting a sprint car dialed in for the night. Yeah, but it was also a good way to teach me some of the fundamentals of just maintenance and right. doing it by myself or maybe with one other guy. And you know, um, I, I mean, I got together with Alan Verville and Kayleen's husband. You know, we raced them together and maintenance them together and went and raced together and share ideas and. Gosh, we got to go to a race at Ascot together one year. Um, but it, it just taught you a lot of the fundamentals and responsibilities of what it takes to be successful and also finish all the races without breaking down. And, um, it was a good time. You know, I think um, all kids need to get some dirt under their fingernails and learn how to work on these things. Oh, definitely, definitely. So we, we always talk to, like, uh, motocross drivers. Guys are big in motocross, like Sheldon Hoddenshield. He was a big motocross guy before he got into sprint cars, and he still says, like, motocross is his first passion. He loves it. Is ATV something that you, like, still kind of keep an eye on? I know, I mean, I don't really see a lot of it happening out here, but, I mean, nationally it's still probably a thing, right? Yeah, you're right, and, and it's probably died down a bit. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos, and I lose interest pretty quick, but I I, I do understand the outdoor motocross and supercross. Um, I am a big fan of that. That's probably – the only other kind of racing I'm a fan of other than sprint cars is, is motocross, supercross. And I mean, those guys are real athletes. And one thing I learned when I was a teenager from old time late model racer here named Carl Moldner, he said, he says, you know, Bobby, you should race motocross or something like that before you get into these cars, because it teaches you to stay away from other people, you know, and not run into other guys or, allow them to run into you it just teaches you good habits and i think that's something that that sheldon absorbed and, and it's made him really good now i mean gosh at that ironman race a couple of weeks ago he was amazing i mean that's that's crazy he come up and lapped on his shots or just about oh yeah <laughs> you, don't, you don't see that happen uh too much <laughs> no no but uh but yeah I, I do like to go to the supercross race here every year and i i went to the um you know, the monster cup race at Vegas one year. And I, I am a big fan of that. Yeah. I got invited to that deal a few years back and I just couldn't make it. I think we had a race going on out here. It seems like usually there's something big going on somewhere else. We're usually stuck at a racetrack. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you wanted to go to the finals, it's right at the first week of May and it's, it's hot as heck there. And, and yeah, there's probably a race going on here where, where you got to earn your paycheck anyhow, but um, yeah, definitely a, a big fan of supercross and outdoor motocross. So looking back at that, I mean, right after you got out of that, won the championship in 1990, I believe, and then uh, got back into uh, the sprint car scene because your dad wanted you in something safer, uh, (laughs) quote unquote. And uh, man, you've just been uh, taken off from there, man. Like, talk about the ride. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it was it was kind of weird how I fell into it. You know, I I still went to sprint car races on Saturday nights when I wasn't racing ATVs, and I'd you know go sit up in the top of turn one and watch how Leland McSpadden would run that cushion and. Yeah, that was amazing. Those those are some really good days there with the CRA deal, and I'd watch that and watch it over and over again. And then I think it was 
89 or so, the super modified class was kind of morphing into a sprint car class with the 360 engines. And the club was just starting out to where, you know, they were lucky to get 10 cars and back in 89 or 90. And then in 91, it was, it was really starting to take off and guys were getting more interested. You know, Calvin Landis got a car and Charles Davis Jr. got a car. And um, it was a couple of months into the 91 season. And um, these two gentlemen had bought a car together and didn't have an engine. And, but they knew that my dad was kind of, he knew the ins and outs of who had what around here building engines. Right. And uh, they said, hey, can you help us out? And, he, I think his brain, you know, the wheels started turning and he picked me up over at my mom's house. He says, hey, come with me and check out this guy's sprint car. It's right down the street from your house, which it was. So it was kind of on his way. So he really had me fooled. And, um, you know, so we get there and I meet these guys and they were former crew guys of Steve Phillips. And they said, hey, you know, sit in the car, see if you fit. And I barely fit, you know, at 20 years old. I was six foot five and, but, uh, they were just kind of joking around said, Hey, if we put an engine together and this would, would you drive it? And, well, my eyes were twice the size they are now. And Oh heck yeah. So that's how it started. And I kind of blamed them and, and my dad and, and Dan Smith who helped me get an engine together. And yeah, we started out mid year and I think we only ran about eight races, but uh, we won one at Tucson and that was the start of the addiction. And, and it's really kept me out of trouble ever since. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, looking at your career in the 90s, man, 1998 is when I circle 14 career wins. Uh, by far your most impressive win in the or year in the win column. Uh, what was your favorite thing about running that era? Because, I mean, we've always talked about – we had Casey Buckman on the show a few months back. He, uh, you know, came out and announced his uh, Hoosier 100 ride. But we were talking a little bit off-air to him, and he was just talking about not just the racing side of it, but, like, the good stuff was what used to happen in the pits after the race – uh, you know, the rivalries, there were a lot of fights back then, and just, like, hanging out. I mean, I feel like back in the day, you could go out, I and mean, even when I first kind of got started, it was fizzling out, but you go in the pits, and we'd hang out for at least three hours or so, drinking beer and eating some hamburgers or something. Now you just don't see that as much. And I feel like the 90s was, like, you know, the prime of that. Yeah, it was, and I really felt fortunate to be able to say I got to live that with, you know, Jeremy Sherman and Charles Davis Jr. and Eric Wilkins and all these guys, which... I tell these some of these kids now, like I told Ty Mahako, I said, I feel bad for you that you were you were born so late. I said, this is, he's one of those guys that should have been born 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier. Oh, yeah. That you didn't get to live that Manzanita lifestyle of Tuesday night practice, Saturday night at the track, at least three out of four Saturdays a month. You were racing a sprint club, whether it's a 360 or a 410 or a wing or whatever. And then the hanging out and partying afterwards staying there until almost till the sun comes up and um when those days were over yeah it was a huge life change for me and, and for a lot of folks and we were all kind of confused on wow where, where are we going to race now i mean it's just hard to to measure up to that place at least in my mind that's how i felt but um yeah those those were some good old days and it's not like that anymore and um you know maybe it's because i've gotten older or what but uh, you know it seems like when the races are over now i just i can't wait to go home you know and and it, and it is refreshing to see some of the people that do stay late they there is no place they'd rather be and and that's cool and i, I guess i used to be that way but um yeah manzanita it was definitely an adventure and especially when you could hear 
gunshots across 35th Avenue. Thought, <laughs> eh, maybe we should go now. <laughs> probably, probably don't take off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and the kids don't get to experience that anymore. Yeah, that's one of the things that I regret in life is I came here so late that Manzi was already gone. Uh, Steve, did you ever make out to Manzi? Uh, a couple times when I was really young, but not on the spectator side. I didn't know what I was doing, so I didn't get to see any of that stuff. So, hey, uh, hey, Bob, a uh, quick question for you. Since you're six foot five, uh, how do they set up? I'm I'm six foot two, and I've been in like Mike Martin's sprint car and whatnot, and I just don't fit for leg room and whatnot. So what what do they have to do to modify that car for you to get comfortable in there? I guess when you're after doing it this long, I've definitely learned the tricks on what brand a seat will fit and, and how low the seat bar can go before the torque tube hits it and, and what the overall height of the cage needs to be. You know, I, I could be offered a ride from a guy in California and he could tell me a measurement of how tall his cage is and I could tell him right away, hey, I, I won't be able to fit, so you'll find somebody else. But we've definitely learned a lot of tricks on, you know, where the steering box is located or... Um, how tall of uh, foot blocks put underneath your feet to raise your knees and get your knees away from the steering box. That That's definitely a trick that I've had to deal with and have somewhat of a unorthodox pedal configuration in that my feet, now especially my right foot would have to lay flat at idle. And then my toes are pointing towards the ground at full throttle. So it was definitely a different feeling. And then when somebody else would jump in my car, they say, well, how can you drive this? <laughs> That's the only way I can. <laughs> right. That kind of hurts um, my foot trying to do it right now under the table. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you had to um, not have the, the side hockey stick safety bar because if so, my elbows would hit it. And I would shove the steering wheel away forward so that it get, would get my elbows away from the frame rail so I wouldn't bruise up my elbows. So there's a lot of those little tricks that you just learn over time and, and you just move the steering wheel as far forward as you can and live with it and and definitely obviously just stay in good shape so that i wouldn't get super tired being in that awkward position you know you can look at some of the photos of the angle of my my thigh how how high my my leg is pointed up in the air it looks very uncomfortable and especially in a midget um but uh, somehow i've done it and and yeah it's it probably leads to me getting a little more fatigued than the smaller guy, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm an addict. I had to, I have to do it. I just had to be involved, and and now I miss it, of course. But uh, yeah, I'm lucky I'm not in a wheelchair. Life goes on. So uh, I guess you kind of alluded to right there. Obviously, out of the car, um, there's a pretty bad accident. It was actually right the year before I got back out here at Arizona Speedway. Uh, do you remember much from that night? And uh, what happened and what was kind of like the diagnosis and everything? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can admit I don't remember 100% of it, but um, I, I remember in the heat race I was horrible and, and I went backwards and I think a few guys passed me and I might have beat one car in the heat race. And then in the future, we were actually going pretty well. And um, I remember being behind um, Sussex and Mahako about halfway through and, and keeping up with them. And I was rolling pretty well. Um, I was ahead of... Uh, I just passed Sean Deskins, and I was ahead of Michael Curtis and Brian Hosford, Chris Bono, and uh, uh, Landon Kling. I was ahead of a few guys that were that were hustlers. You know, they were pretty good. So I, I don't know what place I was in, but then after that, it kind of became foggy, and I can only tell you 
what I might remember by watching a video of it now, <laughs> kind of cheating it right. um, on my memory. But um, yeah, you know, it, I remember sitting there like a dead duck and then I got hit really hard. And then after that, it was just kind of a blur until um, I kind of woke up, you know, and the guys said, well, you know, you stayed awake, got out of the car, sat down up on top of the cage and got out. And when I went, I went to stand up that's when I just kind of fell into onto everybody's shoulders. And, um, you know, I think it was just a lot of it was from the heat, not having enough oxygen and broken bones and, you know, broken, uh, fibula. And no wonder I couldn't stand and, and right. you know, woke up in the ambulance. But, um, yeah, I went home the next day. Uh, just gosh, I missed, uh, about six and a half weeks of work and I had a walker for over a month and, I think the walker was the thing that really got mine and my family's attention. You know, you think, boy, next thing would have been a wheelchair, you know, right? Uh, to get hurt that bad. It was, that was tough, but I remember most of it, but probably not a hundred percent of that night. So kind of going back over the nineties, you were part of this, <laughs> this meme, I guess you can say from a uh, Casey Hosford, a good buddy used to do a uh, sprint car memes page on Facebook. Um, and you were, one of your memes was on there of you in this old driver's suit that, uh, was overalls. What was the story behind the overall driver's suit? Oh, you know, just trying to come up with a design with design 500 on a new suit. You know, they were really creative on, on what they could come up with, whether it be, you know, rainbow stripes or just making a suit look like a tuxedo or anything else. And, uh, I thought, do you, you know, I, I wanted to ask, do y'all have a, a denim colored material? Well, yeah, we can find that. So I was a t-shirt artist at the time. I did a lot of artwork for other drivers and I just drew up the suit on a diagram, you know, like an order form uh, with some markers and whatnot and, and went with my Bubby Jones tribute paint job colors to, from my car that year. And, uh, you know, of course, the blue was the denim color, and the red and yellow was the top shirt, and and uh, they sewed it up for me up there in Seattle area, and brought it down, and that was my first custom built fire suit, and and everybody loved it. It was it was a great time, and and when when we won, it was even better because, you know, you're getting your picture taken with the girl and trophy, and everybody got to see it. <laughs> the girl, man, you don't see that anymore though. <laughs> Yeah, but that that meme really took off uh, worldwide, and it's a picture of my grandma Reem. She came out to uh, her first race to watch me, and, and we'd won the season opener there. That was in '92, back when Charles and Calvin Landis and I we all kind of started at that that same '91, '92 year, and uh, yeah, so that one, <laughs> the '90s. Yeah, you all missed that one. I know, right? See, that, that's the thing. It's like, gosh, I, I missed that. You know what a sprint car was Jay, back in the 90s. Like, Jay, Jason was seven or something ridiculous. Yeah, like, like that, was I? So. I was seven in what, 94? 90, yeah, 94. <laughs> yeah, so. Ridiculous. Yeah, the, uh, the non safety containment seats and big right rear tires, you all missed that. Now, you know, it's kind of had to slow the cars down a little bit with the smaller tires. And but those were the days in, in you know, like, Matt Rossi would say, you know, make the cushion great again. Well, we don't even have a cushion anymore, especially, you know, if we run with four or five stock car classes. But back then when we it was just open wheel only, we would have a cushion, you know, 
probably 75% of the time, whether it was Canyon, Manzanita, Yuma, Tucson, wherever. So and, uh, do you think that more classes equals less of a cushion? Is what, is what I'm yeah. getting at from that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, they just more traffic kind of runs it over and there's less of a chance. And, and, and you can look back on this. If, if you look back at, at the last few Western worlds we've had, Arizona Speedway or whatever, all of a sudden there's this big cushion up against the fence and, <laughs> I hadn't seen a cushion in 12 months. You know, it's just, just every year you, you might get a cushion at that race or the maybe the Copper Classic in November. Um, but Tucson, when they had their Western or Canyon had their Western, it was the same way. You know, you just, you had a cushion if it was just open wheel only. And right. um, it's just one of the symptoms we, we have to deal with, with the, with more classes. But I understand I'm having to put more classes out too, so. <laughs> Well, that, that kind of came up last week, I believe, uh, Bruce St. James, correct, Steve? Yes. Kind of came with a, a little thing, like, what would you do if you were to run a racetrack? <laughs> and, you know, so I, I'm kind of the three divisions out by 10 o'clock guy. That's where yeah. I come from. Yeah, that's that's but, my what, side, too, yes. What, what would you do, Bullet? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, because when I was a kid watching my dad race at Manzanita, anyway, I'm just speaking for Manzanita, they had two classes on Saturday every week and all the you know modified stocks street stocks hobby stocks bombers and all that they ran on friday so on saturday it was sprints and midgets next saturday was late models and super modifieds then sprints and midgets and it just rotated back and forth two classes two classes my dad would race every other week and we'd go watch sprint cars on the opposite but you know back then i guess the amount of fans that came into the stands and whatever the purse was for the cars, all that balanced out. Right. Well, now I don't understand all the math because I'm not a promoter. I've never been in that office to see how it all works, but somehow whatever they're paying the sprint car class and then all the other four or five classes that are running with them, that purse pay has to somehow balance out with however many people come in that front gate and back gate. And I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not a mathematician, but there's, there must be some reason why that won't work except for in November, you know, November we'll have, um, you know, the, the desert series and the ASCS series, or we'll have, um, you know, the old USAC Southwest and the USAC national two sprint car classes. And those seem to be super successful along with, the outlaw show that has the desert class. Um, but the week to week, I don't know. I, I wish it could go back to the whole Friday, Saturday routine, but I don't think it's going to happen here. And, and I haven't really seen that much around the country really. Yeah. I think one of the things kind of holding it back from happening now, I mean, Manzanita was like kind of like central Phoenix, right? Like, you're right. It was so yeah. much here, yeah, yeah. It was easier to get to here. I mean, I think you're getting a modified guy. You're, their class like hey get off work at five get to the racetrack <laughs> you know we start at 7 30 on a friday night i think it'd be a little, little yeah i mean so just i mean geographically where the tracks are right here i think you know the closest one to like most people would probably be canyon but even right. still that's far out there as, as somebody that lives in the east valley jason i would disagree well, i said most people steve <laughs> but no you're right i mean it's just it's harder to do when when a track is on the outskirts of town and and you know the the tracks need to be on the outskirts of town now because of the noise unless you're 
in you know Fremont, Ohio, or some of these places where they're they do have tracks right in the middle of town because you know people really welcome it. But here, there's too many people complain about the noise. You know, in Manzanita was that way, even though Manzanita was there first. Right. Um, they had all kinds of complaints back in the late 2000s, and um, it was tough to be a promoter at Manzanita. I'm sure those last you know five years or so when you know the internet came in and people would go online and complain about it and and complain about the neighborhood and and everything else and the track conditions and it was like gosh i wouldn't want to be a promoter at manzanita those last few years either and and so if it was still around today i think it's likely that people would complain about it you know um so uh you know the racers and the residents surrounding it Oh yeah. Hey, so what, how do you, I, I think I know the answer, but it was one of the controversies with a lot of these sprint car guys is walls are disappearing from certain tracks and, and things like that um, here locally and, and in other places. So how important or what's your opinion about the walls disappearing uh, and things like that? Speaking of the cushion. And time, Haka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just being a driver and even an owner now, I don't, know that i have a an opinion either way i mean you know as a driver danny and i won races with it and without it and you know i don't think there was a difference but you know i go back to i guess i, I think it was probably 2014 where a big wreck happened in front of me at canyon and i had nowhere else to go and i hit the fence and it was one of those six thousand dollar crashes and i thought you know if this was two years ago I would have just went over the top and rolled to a stop, pulled my car out of gear, and nothing would have got it torn up. So if you would ask me that week, I'd say <laughs> I hate the fence. Right. You know, I don't want I don't want the wall there. Um, and then you know you see the the crash this past week at Devil's Bowl that Jeb Sessoms took without a fence, and that was horrendous. I mean he he must have went, gosh. 200 yards I, I don't know you guys have to see this video on facebook it's unbelievable oh yeah i've seen it it was it was quite the uh quite the wreck got the yeah, distance and, and so if there were a fence there would he have been better off or had he been worse off i, I don't know um you know if, i mean the fence at ascot is what killed clark templeman i mean you, you, you think of all these things it's like well you know half the time it it might be safer and half the time it might not be and then you know, folks are going to have their opinion about how it makes the show better or the show worse. I don't know. I mean, I'm 50-50 either way. Hmm. Now, the the big one for, you know, I'm a, race, I'm a racing fan, I, you know, but I'm not Mr. Diehard or anything. But one thing that does fascinate me is where nicknames come from. So <laughs> I, I'm assuming it has something to do with speed, but tell us the history of where you got the nickname, The Bullet. That's cool that you asked, and it's, yeah, I, I do realize there's a lot of people that have that nickname, but um, in 98, when we kind of won our, I guess, more than our own share of wins, there was uh, a kid named Bobby Cushman who would come out to the races with his father, Dave Cushman. He was a fleet salesman at San Chevrolet who sponsored the racetrack, and they, they still sponsor sprint car racing now yep. uh, with the pace trucks. So Dave's son, Bobby he said, uh, hey, Dad, you know, we, man, when he comes off the corner to pass those guys two at a time, he's just like a bullet, you know? And he says, he says that's that's a pretty cool observation there, Bobby. You should, you should go upstairs there and tell Wendy McDonald that. 
And so somehow between Bobby Cushman and Wendy McDonald, they started announcing it that way. And, and, uh, I kind of liked it and, and I, there's plenty more bullet bobs. I know that, but, uh, that's where it came from. And it's cool. Bobby kind of stuck with racing for a little while and he, he picked her for Kayleen Burville and I'm not sure what he's doing now, but, uh, yeah, that's who I owe it to is Bobby and Wendy. But it's one of those that just flow. I guess the thing you see with most nicknames, they actually like flow, you know, like Bullet Bob, you know, Magic Magic Man, Mike Martin, um, the real American, Matt Rossi, the Prez, Josh Shipley. Like those actually kind of go like, and we were like the Bullet, Josh Shipley. That just doesn't sound right. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. I, there are some real good ones, you know, like the Wiz Kid and the Shermanator and Charging Charles. And yeah, there's some, some really cool names that come out of Arizona. Speaking of the Wiz Kid, uh, Eric Wilkins actually driving for you uh, now uh, here this season. Uh, got a win at uh, ET. Uh, that was a huge win. I know that weekend for you. Um, seeing him win in that car and you know, kind of taking the car owner approach now. Is it as fulfilling as being a driver, or uh, is it about the same, or what? Oh man, I you know, I got to tell you the truth. No, <laughs> it's not as exciting as as when I get to stand up on the wing myself. But, right. Um, but it is very satisfying and a, and a proud moment when you see a guy who's been out for 14 years and we coached him along on, on how we want to do things and how we think he should drive and so on. And then race number four and race number five, he wins. Um, you know, I think we put two practice nights under him uh, prior to all that. So, uh, you know, between Brian Swinehart and, her pal and John Clements and my rest of my crew, we were just so blown away that that happened, let alone, tw- you know, twice in a row. Um, yeah, it was very, very satisfying and we we're very proud. And it's a drastic difference. I would imagine going from a, uh, you know, last year during the uh, copper classic, you had uh, Michael buddy Cafoid on uh, behind the wheel, a young kid to go into a, a guy who was just inducted into the Arizona Sprint Car Hall of Fame. How is it working with uh, all these different drivers that you get a chance to work for? I mean, and you know, it's kind of a who's who of listing. I remember back when you did a little bit more USAC stuff, you had uh, Sunshine, Tyler Courtney at the Western World, I believe, one year. That was the first time I got to uh, announce uh, one of his races, and he's just, you know, kind of ballooned out uh, since then. Like, how awesome is it working with all these different young drivers and uh, older guys as well? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I a lot of times I would just kind of, look and see who had the week off and maybe see if they're available and we can figure out some kind of a, you know, formulation to get them out here. And, you know, Tyler Courtney was one that I really didn't know him. And this was 2011, I believe he was, gosh, it might've even been 13. I think it was 2013. Yeah. I think it was 2013. Cause I got out here in 2012 and then that was my first Western by myself. And I remember, going up to you because he had the sunshine logo. You're like, he's driving it. He's sunshine. I was like, who? <laughs> yeah, he he was 17 years old going for the USAC National Rookie of the Year. And he was, I believe, 11th in points at the time. And I talked to Kirk Spridgen and um, Tyler, and we were trying to figure out a way to get him out here to run for points with my car. And I just put his number on it, but him not have to haul his own stuff out because – he was kind of a one-man band then, and I said, well, we can run the two-day show at Canyon, which was national, and then the, the two-day show at Paris, but I would run on Halloween night with the 360. So uh, we got to race five nights together, four nights with him driving, one with me. Um, we had a heck of a time, really hit it off, 
here. He got to, you know, live at my house that weekend between and get the truck and everything ready. Um, you know, stayed at our house watching TV with my, and having dinner with my wife and I, and, you know, she, she wanted to keep him. <laughs> she said, can we keep this kid? <laughs> um, so yeah, we just, we all really hit it off. And, and now, uh, for my wife and I to see him, you know, win on that Indy mile silver crown race, uh, last month. And, you know, some of the things that he's accomplished this year, we, we feel very proud that we had just a little bit of a involvement in helping him get there. You know, we, we, we were involved with him getting Ricky of the year in 2013. And then we're just, just proud to see him move on. And then, you know, like buddy Kofoid, you know, he, he's had some great, great ride offers. And now with Ed Neumeister in Ohio, he's, he's really starting off to a big career, but it, it was funny just talking to buddy when I finally got the car running just before the copper classic, I didn't know if we'd be able to run it or not. And I actually reached out to buddy about that race and I said, Hey, you know, typical things, you're going to bring your seat. Here's where you're going to stay. Yada, yada. And I said, for us to pass weight, I need to know how much you weigh. Oh yeah. He said, he says, he says, 108. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you know, when I was racing, I was 185, 190. And I'm thinking, wow, we're, we're going to have to weigh this car three times and make sure we pass tech or, you know, we just throw the whole weekend away. So, um, yeah, we gathered up all different types of lead and everything to bolt onto the car for different situations so that we would make it <laughs> but another great kid just like tyler we just really hit it off and be friends for life how much at the once you get to the racetrack especially with guys you know that you aren't familiar with or they aren't familiar with the the tracks out here how much are you coaching them up either before the race or during the races after heats you're talking to them um i, I imagine that's a huge benefit for these guys out there yeah that's a good question you know it's it's Whenever I've had people in, whether it, you know, be Gary Taylor or Buddy Kofoid or Tyler Courtney, Jeff Anson, um, you know, whoever, Josh Hodges, we, I've always had that open mind thinking, you know, I'm hoping that I can learn something from them, you know, maybe learn some of their secrets that they use elsewhere and it's led to their success. And then when they've come in to run our car, they just hop in, you know, even Justin Sanders, he, he just said, no, I just want to just run your setup and do your thing and, and I'll adapt, they would say. And they really didn't have a whole lot of um, input. It was more of just them wanting to learn from us. And I, and maybe that was them thinking we had a home track advantage or uh, just a routine that worked for us. Um, maybe it's just, you know, they saw that we'd won our share of races here and they thought, I want to try Bob's setup and Bob's rules and, and so it made it very easy for me, um, but I would have been open to either scenario. You know, I I I I wouldn't mind a driver coming in on a on a Saturday morning and say, "All right, jack the car up, we're changing all these bars out, all these shocks out. We're going to do this, we're going to do that," and Bob's going to learn something. But <laughs> it hasn't been the case very often yet. <laughs> I imagine you're kind of intimidating too, to be honest with you, for, especially for some of these younger Intimidate. guys. Bob is the nicest guy no, in the pits. You know what I'm getting at with, uh, in terms of, you know, young guy coming in, you know, they're just getting a start out here, like sunshine, you know, trying to make a name for himself and you show up and you got this, you know, guy that's been around for 30 years and dominates the Arizona scene for years. That's what I mean by intimidation, Jason. I do on a personal level here. I, I get, 
I asked the weird questions on this podcast. So here, here's the, uh, the weird one for you. Um, these are the things that go through my mind. So you get married September, 2011. What's, what's that kind of experience like with, with everything going on in the country at that moment? 2011. That was 10 years after it, yeah. Steve. Oh, 2011. Oh, <laughs> see, when I ask, when I ask questions like that, I just want to make sure you guys are on your toes. I was like, what's going on in the country in 2011? So a lot of politics going on, Jason. Well, how's married life, Bob? <laughs> yes. Let's get to that. Yeah, so I guess we, you know, you could say we got married uh, one day prior to the 10-year anniversary. But, yeah, you missed that little one in there. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm not the know, smartest. Of, That's why I'm a video uh, guy, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, in September of 2009, my wife, or I should say she was my girlfriend, and I, I asked her to marry me, and we planned it ahead for two years we said hey in september of 11 we'll get married and so uh i don't know if it was supposed to be something for you know easy for a race car driver who's had multiple concussions to remember or what but she said <laughs> there's a saturday that falls on 9 10 11 so how can you forget that so we got married on 9 10 11 <laughs> yeah that makes the most sense <laughs> it's not just sprint guys sometimes you have to make eight, it so eight nine ten eleven yeah, there you go. Go. just just flows right in so, sometimes you got to make there it simple go. for us guys sometimes so, so speaking of numbers that a lot goes into a number how much goes in like why the number eight you big Dell junior guy growing up Good question, and I wasn't. In fact, I think we might have had it before him. I'm not sure. It was when 2001 came around. We were running SCRA, and I was, well, my car owner and I both, we just wanted a single-digit number. I really didn't have a number. My dad was always number 34, and um, somebody else had it. Bill, Bill Lloyd's cars were always 34, and um, Burl Whitmore's midget that Eric Wilkins drove was 34. So we just I thought I just want a single digit number. I don't care what it is. Let's see which one's not taken. And with SCRA, I think that was the only one that wasn't taken. And you had to reserve numbers back then with Ron Schumann's group. So we picked an eight in 2001 and stuck with it. And I guess part of the reason why we've stuck with it was my car owner just says, you've already established this certain identity with these kids and some of the fans. Don't go changing it every year and confusing people and them not knowing who you are, what car you're involved with or whatever, just, just stay with it. And so that's kind of me following someone else's advice. And I think it's, it's good advice. Right. And uh, when they see that eight, they know that I'm involved somehow, even though I might, might not be driving all the time. So you got most of your success came in the, uh, the non-wing sprint car. And then you kind of went over to the wing. Was there any decision behind uh, doing more wing races? I think when I got on the scene, I only saw probably two or three non-wing races that you ran, but most of it was uh, the wing stuff. Was there like a big decision going into the wing, just trying something different or what? It was more along the lines of trying something different. You know, I, I dabbled with wing cars here and there over the years, you know, many random times, but it would only be, you know, a race here, a race there, or maybe driving for somebody else. And with the wingless deal, we had started in 91, and then in about, it was 2013, I tried kind of half of each. I think we did six wing shows and maybe six or more non-wing shows. And a lot of that was because 2011, 2012, the wingless deal, and you know, running places other than Manzanita, it had kind of gotten stale for myself and my team and our, it kind of limited success. You know, I, 
we'd won one in 2009 at Manzi and then in 10, 11, 12, I really didn't get my share of wins. And I almost won one at Canyon where I led it for, you know, 21 laps and Jeremy got me right at the end and lap traffic. And, and I just thought, man, I, I got to win one. And, and I just kept getting discouraged with a lot of eighth place runs. You know, I started joking around with, you know, people like, I remember Tim Mahako saying, but you're an eighth place car. You <laughs> were just eighth place every week. And, uh, putting the eights just, together. Yeah. And so we thought, you, you know, and, and you get, you know, let's face it. Sometimes in, in this sport or whatever, you might run into different, um, not, not necessarily rivalries, but you run into, um, run-ins with other teams and racers and you just get kind of tired of the people some of the people involved or it gets stale and I thought let's you know Roger Tubes is running this wing deal it's a whole different group of people and some of the different tracks and we can learn something let's just try it and after spending a week and a half with Dale Blaney and, and his crew chief George Fisher I learned a lot and I just it made me more interested and you know next thing you know I'm trying to buy wings and axles and everything from Ben Gregg or whoever to get me, you know, to kind of get a taste of the wing races in 2013. And, um, the first night out, we ran second to Rick Zeal at Canyon. And I thought, I want to do this next year. So in 2014, we started out full blast with a really nice Dale Blaney car and, uh, you know, went for points. I was going to ask you what the biggest learning curve was, but second, first night out's a pretty, uh, pretty good thing. <laughs> Yeah, and it, that was good, and you know, and then in 2014 we built a really nice car, and and the season always started out with a national show at like Yuma and maybe Tucson. So national guys come to town, and you know, I got whooped pretty hard. And then once our regular season opener came at Arizona Speedway uh, in the beginning of March, I won that first night. You know, the first local night, right. know, I should call it. And so, you know, that really, you know got got the blood flowing we thought man we, we really like this let's let's do this so um you know we ended up running second in points that year and i think we won i don't know maybe three shows at arizona speedway and one at tucson and there you go we we've got the the wing disease now we've moved over to the other side and you know at, at that time 2014 and 15 it kind of became accepted um you know, before that, people people would say, "Well, you move over to the other side. That's not cool. That's wing racing for sissies or whatever." Mm -hmm. The wing guys would talk about the non-wing guys. But <laughs> no, I, I remember. Said, hey. <laughs> you know, but I, I would argue. I said, "Well, hey, Brian Clausen's doing it, so it's cool. So we're gonna do it." You know, so yeah, you know, you're right. Brian Clausen's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so BC made it all right to uh, yes. do all that stuff. Do you ever doing midget yeah. stuff? Go run the chili bowl or anything like that? Yeah, a little bit. I got to run. One of the television shows at Manzanita in 92, 93, that winter series. And then uh, I got to run for Mike Burkhart with an Esslinger car at Manzanita twice. Um, that was, you know, probably 2005 to 2008, somewhere in there. Um, two shows. I got to be teammates with John Stambro, which is really cool. The bro and show. Run a sprint car on the same night. And then, uh, 2008 we built our own midget for chili bowl and so i think i ran 2008 and then i did a rental ride in 2010 and 2012 and so i think after running three chili bowls i got it out of my system and really never wanted to do it again but i, I still go every year 
I go with Bruce St. James and I just, this year was our 15th year in a row. So next year will be 16. <laughs> well, if you guys are looking for a plus one, uh, <laughs> I know. We, we've been saying we're going to make it there. I think for the last 10 years and we haven't, yeah, made it, ever so. since no choice. Oh, we got a chill belt next year. That's like, <laughs> all right, cool. Now doing the Arizona Seaway stuff. It's like, Hey, when, when's Chilbert running? Oh, it's running when we run a big race out here or, Mod tour yeah, or got something. something going on. So it's like, ah, <laughs> always yeah. committed to something. Yeah, and that, that helps explain why I've missed all the late model shows out there because I'm at Chili Bowl, so uh, <laughs> yep. unfortunately I don't get to see those. Are you a fan of uh, other racing besides sprint car racing? I mean, like I said earlier, other than motocross and supercross, kind of not really. Um, I'm into, you know, Chevy trucks and other kind of hobbies and whatnot, but when it comes to sports or racing, I really don't watch anything else. Um I think the late models are cool. It'd probably be cool to drive one, but I, I, I don't watch them unfortunately. And, and I, I think owning one or driving one, you know, like my wife had said, would you want to run a late model or modify? And I said, yeah, but no, cause it, it involves a lot of MIG welders, sledgehammers <laughs> and cutoff wheels and grinders. And I mean, more hammers and more hammers and sheet metal work. I'm just not into that. Hey, I mean, you want to talk about going the other side. I think sprint car to modified would be going the other side. But, you know, it's cool because Joey Moriarty did it. See, he's, he's one of the coolest and he did it. So, RJ Johnson's tried a little bit here, thinking about getting into a modified, and uh, he he's been telling me it's a completely different ride experience. So, oh, I believe it. Uh, I saw Charles Davis in Vegas one year do a modified, and he won the heat race. And then he, I've heard he didn't yeah. look too great in the main event, but he won a seat race. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that, and and I remember watching Ricky Johnson run him a lot at Manzanita with a ton of success. But uh, I I actually drove one four different shows before I got into the sprint car, um, so I did get to get a taste of that. And and Dan Smith and Billy Powell helped me do that. And um, Dan Smith just passed away this past week, but he was one of the the key guys to get me into racing in circles instead of the ATVs. Hey, so uh, one of the last ones for me here, what do you do outside of racing since that's enveloped so much of your life? Well, great question. I mean, for, for work, I'm a traffic engineering specialist, so it has to do a lot with striping and pavement preservation, traffic signals, signs, and um, fiber optics, all that kind of good stuff. So um, I have a passion for it. I really love what I do. Um, Unfortunately, I don't make a ton of money to, you know, to support a race team, but that's what I do. And I've been there for over 23 years uh, working with my buddy, Greg Wheeler. He's a co-owner of my, the Michael Curtis's car. Uh, he's been there for over 30 years. So uh, we work together in that. And uh, it's pretty cool to, to go to work and talk about work. And then we talk about sprint cars and then we talk about work and it's back to sprint cars. But um, that's my work life. And then, um, you know, when I'm not at the race shop, it's, it's playing around with my Chevy pickup trucks or, uh, you know, going hiking with my, my wife and my dogs. Uh, we have two dogs. One's Manzi, Manzanita, and the other one's Sunshine. Or we call him Sunny. And, uh, so we have two labs and, um, they're our life. I mean, we take them to daycare during the week and a whole bit, just like a couple of kids and, uh, just spend a lot of time with, with her parents and, go see them in South Dakota and go watch Wissota late models and modifieds in South Dakota with, with my father-in-law and, um, just, uh, 
watch a lot of Netflix and um, spend time together doing other things outside of racing and a lot of socializing with family. What uh, Netflix show are you binging on right now? Boy, I don't know. You know, we finished up a whole bunch of them. I really liked Longmire and, um, you know, anything with cowboys and guns and all that's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, right now I'm kind of searching for something new. We, we've been watching um, – night watch nationwide or nationwide night watch it's like an emt ems show from uh, the a and e channel on netflix and uh i think it's hulu or amazon we just watched the first episode of the boys the boys and my wife's a, yeah. yeah she's a she's a big fan of superheroes and and that fiction kind of stuff and and usually i'm not but i thought after watching that first episode i kind of liked it so <laughs> we're probably going to watch that but um I'm a big fan of those prison shows. So I, I watched, yeah. I binged on that Jailbirds on Netflix. I was like, my last binge. I've been saying we need to tune up uh, Stranger Things again, but uh, I love the prison shows. I don't know why. Yeah, me no. too. I, and I haven't even heard of the Jailbirds. We were just yeah, we, that's on Netflix. Pretty pretty solid. Okay, so we watched Orange Is the New Black, most of it, but the the reality prison show that I really liked was Sixty Days In. You guys have got to see that. Is that on a, a streaming service or? I believe it's Netflix. Um, if not, it's Hulu, but it's, it's 60 days in. I think it came from, you know, Bravo or A&E or one of those deals, but it's real normal people like you and Steven and I going in for 60 days and you can tap out or, or you can stay that whole 60 days. There was oh, really? one guy that stays 120 um, that guy, that so guy does not like his wife. Yeah, I think one of the prisons is in um, is in Indiana. One's in California, I believe. And then I think one of the upcoming seasons was supposed to be in Florence of Arizona. So um, pretty hmm. excited to see that. But yeah, one of the guys that that went in sixty days was actually from the Phoenix area, and that just made it even more interesting. I'm thinking you know, I could run into this guy at QT some night and ask him about it. But uh, it's fascinating. 60 days in. That's what I love. What was that show? The uh, live PD? Cause they actually had, they yeah, followed uh, somebody out here in Phoenix. Well, they, one of the, <laughs> I was like, man, I could like see like live PD. Anymore. One of the biggest stars is, I don't know which department, but down in queen Creek. Cause every single buddy, everybody I know that lives in queen Creek, who runs into him. is like, Oh my God, it's officer. So-and-so from live PD. And he, he some big guy down in Queen Creek. So yeah. Hey, one. I, I, oh, sorry. I don't go know ahead. If it was live PD or one of those shows, but I like when you see somebody and they're wearing like a Jack Hodden Shop t-shirt or something. Right. Oh yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. that was like the best one. Like I think Tim Alwyn used to always post those, or Ben Thrasher would always post like a pic of somebody rocking like an old Sprint Car t-shirt, going to jail and <laughs> live PD. It's like, oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, wow. I just hope I don't see a, a Bob Ream shirt there. Yeah, right. Do we have any Bob Ream shirts for sale, man? Oh, you, you probably find them at Goodwill. You know, that's, that's a place <laughs> yeah. to find them. I haven't seen the uh, the merch trailer out there at all. Yeah, no kidding. But, uh, yeah, that T-shirt game, it's that's tough for me because there's so many people over these, gosh, 28 years now that have helped me along some way, somehow, or just paying their hard-earned money to go in the stands to watch and just support me. And I just think, man, I, I got to give them a shirt. And I just... I'm one of them guys that just have a hard time charging somebody that 10 or 20 bucks for a shirt. And, right. You know, some of those, those later years, I would point them towards one of my crew guys direction so that they would take their money. Oh yeah. I just, I just couldn't do it. But, um, 
I would like to do a retro t-shirt of my 1998 design. If I could find the artwork, um, that was back when I did the artwork myself. I, I quit drawing in 2000. Um, like Ricky Hood's design was the last one I did. But anyway, if I can find the artwork from my 1998 design, I would like to do a reprint of those. All right. And, so if anybody's out there with a bullet Bob Ream 1998 t-shirt, let us know. We need. We know Casey Hosford has one. I just, I need the artwork though. So uh, we'll see how that goes, but that's, that's one of my missions. That's on my to-do list this year. Nice. Well, hey. we were talking about pit shirts earlier. Yes. About like crew guy shirts. Are are you a fan of your guys having pit shirts? If you could, I guess, which should be the question. <laughs> well, he's yeah, I mean, owner. I mean, we all our our team. We try to keep it a little bit more of a professional image and have everybody with our our matching embroidered shorts and our matching shirts. You know, every Saturday. You know, hey, what shirts are we wearing tonight? So that you know, we get our pictures taken together in the pits or. If we're lucky enough on the, to be on the front straightaway afterwards, we want to look like a team. And, and so um, it's kind of funny, you know, some of our guys, we all have the same tennis shoes and everything. And uh, I just, that was just something that got my attention one year. I think we were at Chili Bowl and I saw all of Casey Kane's team and they all had matching outfits. And, and I just, I just thought that, that looks professional, you know, as far as dirt track racing goes. Right. And, and if somebody was looking to help us out or, sponsor or just be involved or you know just a compliment i thought it's let's just make every effort we can to you know look look like a team and and so yeah we we enjoy that having having our crew shirts yeah last time you're in victory land at et you're rocking the uh, the old coastal uh t-shirts uh, so by all <laughs> means man those sponsors you got go ahead and thank them yeah coastal race parts is just uh a new website that, that took off, I think a week or two prior to that, where, you know, racers all over the country could order their parts with free shipping and, and it's a pretty good deal and it's almost anything you would need. And so, uh, and the guy that owns it is the guy that owns Paul McMahon's car. Who's I worked, I worked on his car for uh, 2012 Pennsylvania speed week. And then also the uh, 2018 Ohio speed week that we won last summer. So it's like, I'm going to help him out and put that on our car. So uh, Tom's been one of my best friends ever since I met him back in 2003 in Canada, just a, a great person. And, you know, he, he put together a lot of great opportunities for Jesse Hockett and, you know, Paul McMahon now just keeping guys racing. Uh, great guy. Anybody else? Is that all we got? <laughs> <laughs> for for the, the coastal race well no for for sponsors wise the, the entire oh, yeah. thing <laughs> yeah i mean rss performance is is one of the ones that's really kept me going this year it's been it's been hard not having you know a car owner anymore um between him and jan stroud with the hose advantage store i wouldn't be racing this year without jan stroud and jim henderson um we put a little jh racing logo on our car but jim henderson's you know kind of the between him and jan and and steve at rss tom at coastal that's kind of the the heart of our race team to help keep it going and um and a lot of other people that just you know might offer some deals on services you know like our powder coating we get deals on that or uh, blood racing lubricants they take care of our oils and you know gear oil and mud off and all that kind of stuff and you know even if i 
you know, if I can just get something where I don't have to pay for it and we just get some kind of free product that helps us get to the track the next week. So, um, and it's just, I'm just really fortunate to have all these people behind me. And I think it's just from trying to keep a good image and also have our share of success over the years and they can share it with us and, uh, share the, the addiction and, and have a good time with us. Hey, so one question we do ask every guest. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah, are you ready? Are you sitting down? Favorite 90s wrestler? Oof, you guys got to remember, I'm an antique here. I, yeah. I watched it in the oh. 80s. Favorite the 80s wrestler? <laughs> yeah, because by the 90s, I just, you know, I just didn't. I wasn't interested anymore, but I would say probably, I'm trying to think of what age I was and everything, but it, it was probably between you know, 85 and 88, somewhere in there that I watched it. And I remember Hulk Hogan was the man and Randy Savage. Ooh, and the mega powers. The giant. Yeah. And Roddy Piper. Um, but, uh, you know, Andre, the giant, that guy, he was just amazing because I, I thought that guy's like Fred Bryan. You, you are not going to knock this guy over. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as favorite and being a character and entertaining, definitely Hulk Hogan brother brother threw a brother on us <laughs> yes <laughs> solid Will Bullet I enjoyed talking to you man and uh, by all means I meant every word I said you are the nicest guy to talk to always good I mean when I go down there and talk to you uh, on race night it gets kind of hectic but remember the Lila McSpadden uh, video I just kind of did for the Facebook page I was just kind of doing a pit walk and he literally gave me like a seven minute Leland story uh, just out uh, of the blue yeah. <laughs> that was really fun and you know when and I'm always up for talking about, you know, my line of work, heavy trucks or sprint cars. I mean, I can talk all day long about that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's just that was a good time. He caught me at a good time. But definitely seems like the nicest guy in the pits, Eric Wilkins. And, and uh, we're, we're all real happy to be involved with him. And he's just so polite. And then the things you can see him doing a race car, he's just so smooth. And, you know, back when I was racing – you know, he was so smooth and so good. It, it made me mad. You know, I just thought, God, that guy's just so good, you know. And But, you know, that was just something you had to deal with. But, yeah, he definitely, I'd say Eric Wilkins is the nicest guy out there. And we're uh, we're definitely excited to, to have him along and hopefully we can keep this going. You know, he, he just turned 51 a couple weeks ago. And all we got to tell him is, well, Sammy's still doing it. He's in his 60s, so. Let's keep this going for a while. That's right. Elbows up, man. Get up on the fence. Yeah. Rip the lip. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're not on Facebook, correct? No, just my dog is. It kind of gives us a chance <laughs> to monitor what the family's going on with, and um, we don't lose touch of what's going on with nieces and nephews and cousins and whatnot, but not a whole lot of activity on there. That's more of my wife's thing, and and uh, I might chime in if I got to find something racing-related once in a while or you know, see what Tyler Courtney's up to or, or Ty Mahako's up to. But for the most part, I kind of stay off of it. And um, in fact, I, I haven't been looking on Twitter in a long time, too. I, you know, I get a lot of my race results off of that and just see what's going on. But yeah, you're just the retweeter. That's, that's all you are. Look at, look at yeah. your Twitter page at Bullet yeah. 8 for those of you who want to follow. Just yeah, a, lately, a lot of retweets. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, haven't haven't been on there much in a while, so uh, I don't know what it is if it's just getting old or busy doing other stuff. But uh, 
yeah, the, the social media things kind of gotten stale for me, I guess. Maybe I'm waiting for the, the next newest thing to come out. Well, it's the summer is. break, so, you know, we, we got we to gotta take some time off, not just from the race chapter, also the Twitter and all that stuff. So uh, yep, definitely right. uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you back out the racetrack here uh, coming up. Uh, I believe the break is almost over for us. Uh, get back into the swing of things uh, next month. Yeah, I think I'm going to need uh, Google Maps to figure my way to the race shop because I haven't been there in 47 days. I just looked it up. <laughs> Jeez. It's been a while. Well, bring that and also the Swiffer duster. Get the dust off the car. No kidding. So, you know, when they say, you know, people say races are one in the shop. Well, guess what? I haven't been in the shop. So I, I need to, I need to get over there. When you go, you can text Steve, let him know. He'll show up with uh, some coffee and donuts. You guys can get started on it. Yeah, no kidding. So I do have a lot of uh, ownership questions I want to run by you, but we'll do it another time off the air here, Bob. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. You guys are always welcome to come by to Moon Valley there. Just bring some, uh, BL smoothies or, or something like that for the guys. You're always welcome. All Perfect. right. Sounds good, Bob. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. We'll do it again sometime. For sure. So great interview that we just had with the bullet Bob Ream Jr. Man, uh, great to have guys that come on the show and just take over. I feel like, like, yes, I, I love it when you're not having to dig and ask, you know, secondary questions because you want the answer to uh, <laughs> yeah, one the question, an- the answer you're trying to get to, right, or something you're trying to trying to get them to talk about. But no, man, I mean, like I said, the bullet he is definitely a uh, he'll, he'll talk to you. he'll definitely talk your off like. I mentioned there with the uh, Legal McSpadden Classic, it was during the Easter egg hunt we had that night because of the Easter mm-hmm. egg, Easter weekend. And um, just going up to him randomly, he was just kind of hanging out over in turn four. And I was like, got any good Leland stories? And he just gave me like a good eight, nine minute one. And I think, you know, definitely uh, get these guys on more. So, uh, you know, people are like, oh, man, he didn't ask this, didn't ask that. Look, guys, we're, we're going to be here for a while. Like the, the podcast isn't going away. We can, we're going to have guys back on more than once like guys who we think hey you know what? that guy was a good interview let's get him back on again you know next year and two years or whatever like they'll be back on more than just once so if there's a question out there that you didn't think i hit well or something like that by all means shoot a inbox or whatever and we'll definitely have these uh, guests back on yeah tell us at the track whatever so um yeah i mean we've tried to delve on it but we also have a time frame you know, yeah. <laughs> we're, not a, we're not a three hour show or anything, but I uh, know it's great when you talk to somebody with that much knowledge and they're just, they love to share it. And, uh, you know, it, it's just great to, to have that on. And, you know, as, like I said, as a casual racing fan, I learned so much from these guys, um, you know, with, with just their answers to questions. Cause they break it down in ways that a lot of guys don't do. Yeah. I love the app, the, the, the yesteryear stuff. Like, I feel like, you know, like you said, Ty Mahaka grew up in an era that, you know, he probably should have been an era beforehand. I feel like I should have been one, too, just with, like, what went on back in those days. Like, I always, that's, like, my biggest life regret is that I didn't really know sprint car racing until. Dude, you were, as, as we said, when we were interviewing him, you were, like, seven. Yeah, but it's still been cool to have those on. stories, still stuff you can remember. And be like, oh, man, so-and-so, this guy, he like was Like I said, awesome. I mean, I went to that stuff, but we sat in the stands, and, you know, it, it was a completely different deal. You don't realize what's going on when you're when you're that young, you know, so. Um, I reckon type of a deal, but yeah, you know, at the same time though, and I'm not just dis- discounting it. Cause you know, I'm the same way with like things I did back in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties where I'm like, Oh man, that was the best of times. It's not like that anymore. You know? And then you talk to somebody that comes up 10 years after you and they You're have, like, just, oh, this was the best of times. They have the best, they have completely different memories. <laughs> yeah, and, pe- and people you know. they think that pop music is better than pop music. <laughs> was then. 
People think that Nickelback is rock and roll, but I don't know. Well, I mean, there's a doubt. Even just the names he dropped, you know, Calvin Landis, you know. Um, up in Knoxville, running you know, weekly. I there. mean, I remember Bruce St. James telling me a story one time about how you know he he couldn't get out of the B main over at Manzanita and and things like that because he'd look he'd pull up, unload, do the do the mud packing, do the heat races, you know, get to the B main, load up his car, load up his trailer, and get home because that's how much talent was here back then and and everything. And, and that's another um, guy I want to have on the show at some point is Bruce St. James. Yeah. I think he's just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, in the sprint car circle. I mean, he used to announce races down in Tucson too, I believe. So definitely get a Bruce come down there. Yeah. I mean, you know, just, just guys with that, you know, the history is what's important, especially as a sport, like you, like we talked about on there, you know, the sport's kind of taking a downhill turn the last, uh, few years, last several years. And, uh, you know, I think it's starting to come back, especially in these other classes outside of sprint cars. Um, I mean, God, we're, People are building bombers left and right to get out to a racetrack and race and them. Stock cars, you know, and stock cars and late models are getting to rolling here in Arizona again. So we're we're definitely moving the positive way, and it's you know we'll get we'll get back to something similar to that is hopefully here uh, sooner than later. And definitely looking forward to this weekend as we have a big race weekend. Seven thirty going to be the green flag time at the I call it the the Rumble in the Desert. That's kind of give it a little more. Yeah, I. I <laughs> I ran with your uh, title there. Thanks. I figured, well, the, the I figured you made I it up. The flyer I that the desert were rumble. So I was like, ah, the rumble in the desert. But we're going to have IMCA <laughs> Modifieds, IMCA Sport Mods, IMCA Stock Cars, Bombers, and Hornets all out at USA Raceway down Tucson this Saturday night. Uh, this, of course, was the race that got pushed back a week because uh, had some peeps in other places uh, enjoying some Sturgis. Yes. Didn't get to uh, One-Eyed Jacks or Black, Black Flat Jacks, whatever the place is. They didn't. No, I hit him up. I was like, "You got there?" He's like, "No." <laughs> it's okay. Um, I've been to Sturgis, so I know how small that town is. So it's like, how how do you not hit it? But right? I guess it's if you're working. Place. But yeah, no exciting races. I mean, I we had such a great race back on July 20th that I actually reposted on Facebook and Twitter. Relived. It. Uh, you know, for everybody to to go back and look again because the modified race was spectacular. You know, with uh, Chaz Baca Jr. after the dash, having that decision to make, that wreck at the beginning that wiped out a bunch of guys. The Hornets, you know, with the uh, disqualification there at the end. In that exciting race, those guys hopefully will be back this weekend. Uh, but even then, the sport mods. We'll see P.J. Um, Harrow back. Right? Beating up on old Tim Olds. We'll see it. Yeah, get some revenge on that. You know, the sport mods were spectacular. So just trying to get people back up into that because if anybody's like me, you know, I've gotten uh, – I've gotten used to not being at a racetrack this last uh, month or so uh, and everything. So it's great to uh, relive those videos that I reposted back up there. And, of course, they're all at gestaltproduction.com and uh, the YouTube page as well. Uh, subscribe to and you'll see when new posts go up. So come on out and DVR the Bristol race as they have the night race going on this weekend. It was an NRA 500 brought to you by Bass Pro Shops or something <laughs> yeah, like no, that. Has a lot of sponsors but, involved. Uh, Getting close to the playoffs, man. Uh, four jars are now in contention. You got Ryan Newman sitting there 15th in points with a 10-point advantage over Clint Boyer, who's 16th. Right now, he only holds a slight six-point edge over 17th place Daniel Suarez and 12 points over seven-time Jimmy Johnson, 18th in points. Uh, Jimmy did not have a great weekend this uh, past weekend in Michigan. So uh, the separation between those four drivers is just 22 points. So uh going to be a lot of beating and banging, I imagine, going on at Bristol this weekend between those four. Yeah, a lot of 
a lot of guys right on that edge. But I mean, even if you go farther down to twenty twenty fourth, you know, it's uh, they're all within striking distance. Uh, one good race and one well, bad race. Those guys, I think, them, you so. gotta get the win. If you're yeah. behind those guys, you gotta get the win to get in. Yeah. Uh, these guys, they need to just beat the crap out of each other. I mean, you'd obviously like to win. You obviously lo- love to be Jimmy Johnson going there and win this weekend and just put it into it all and say I'm t- I got one of the spots. Screw y'all. <laughs> right. But uh, doesn't look like that's gonna happen with but, those I mean, four drivers. I think it's gonna come down to. Uh, or these guys are going to have to lean on each other a little bit extra hard uh, coming right down to checker flag with some of these races. Yeah, it's, you know, it's that's the exciting thing about this time of year. Um, how many races are left? Four? Four races Yeah, left. four. So, I mean, they can't afford to go. They have to finish these races. They have to, you know, get in there in front of the other guys that are, that are in there. And that's going to be exciting coming down. And this week being a night race at Bristol, completely different race. Actually, I take that back. Three races left. We got three. Bristol, Darlington, then uh, yep. Indianapolis. You're right. And, uh, yeah, only three now. It is a uh, go time for uh, the playoffs. Yeah, so you know, exciting time on Saturday night there, and uh, you know, I'll I'll have I'll be obviously doing the video work, but uh, probably have it on. Yeah, we'll probably have it on up in the booth. <laughs> we like to uh, do that from time to time, and and all that good stuff. So definitely come out and see us, uh, Tucson, of course. If you're in Phoenix and you're into it, mud bogs and uh, sand drags are happening over at ET Motor Park as well. Uh, cheap, fun entertainment. I, I made it out there for the last one. Uh, uh, gosh, was that July 27th or whatnot? I made it out there for the first time in a while to help Riley out there filming. And um, yeah, it's a good time, good, cheap fun for everybody. Get out there if you're in Phoenix and, and want something fun, family-oriented to do. And now the tracks are on Twitter, so make sure you follow the Twitter page. Uh, not, It's not going to be one of my burner accounts where I just talk about how great I am. Um, but you can uh, follow at Arizona Speedway to keep up with the news and notes as we get ready for the Western World and the Copper Classic coming up later on in the year. And also uh, at USA underscore Raceway for that one. They were trying to give me some weird names when I created that account. It was like well, Raceway USA, USA has a, yeah. 800. Because they, they well, had a few uh, Twitter accounts. Yeah, USA has three or four that are up there I saw. When I but that's the official one. Yes. At USA underscore Raceway. And also you can follow us. Well, I guess not us because I kind of have control of the Racing with Jason page. But the Racing with Jason Facebook page, <laughs> uh, podcast page. And then you can follow Steve at smac 500 that's on all three platforms, correct? Instagram, Absolutely, Twitter, yes. and Snapchat. And you can hit me up at JasonCarter03. Yeah, we're starting to post races on Twitter as well. We're playing with that format, um, you know, promos, all that good stuff on Twitter. So definitely give us a follow uh, on all those formats. We uh, take care of you and get you some racing news here uh, locally. That is correct. As well as nationally, if you got any questions, make sure you drop them by DM, inbox, post it on the wall, whatever you feel like doing. Always love chatting racing with all you awesome race fans. So thanks for listening to this podcast. God bless you. God bless the troops and God bless America. And watch out for the snakes.